Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 295, Board Game Geeks Top 100 of 2020. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, we are back, and we are back with the best and biggest top 100 list of all time. It's Board Game Geeks for 2020. Absolutely. Yeah, we did this three years ago uh, in two episodes, actually. You can go back to episodes 139 and 140 if you want to compare them. But we ran through all top 100 on Board Game Geek list, and the cool thing about their list, much like our list, which you're going to hear in five short weeks, is that it changes. New games come on the list, old games come off the list, other games move up or move down based on their expansions. So we're going to do the same thing we did last time, go through all of them and tell you whether they're buys, plays, dodges, burns. There are no burns on this list, I don't think. But um, <laughs> Or if we just never played it, which there are certainly plenty of games. Plenty is a strong word. There are a few games we haven't played on this list. Absolutely. BGG has typically the top 100 list of top 100 lists Although Reddit has a pretty fantastic top 100 list, and we talked about their top 100 list on episode 277 back in June. So also feel free to jump back and check out that episode and compare Reddit to BGG and see what you think. See if there's uh, you know some differences here. So as Anthony mentioned, we will be going through our top 100, each of us, of all time on episode 300. And we're also looking for your top of all time. Anthony, why don't you tell everybody about that little contest? Yes, sir. So next week, not this week, it's not ready quite yet. It's still percolating. Uh, but next week, we're going to be putting up a contest, one of our patented do this thing and enter to win some stuff contests. <laughs> and all we're asking you for is your top 20 games of all time. So I've done this a few times. I have a process now to like, throw everything into a spreadsheet and sort it out. But effectively, what are your top 20 games of all time? You're just going to go in, you're going to enter your information. So we need your name and your email address and then your 20 games. And by doing that, you're automatically entered into a contest to win a game uh, that comes out of that top 20 that is currently in print. <laughs> I always have to say that because inevitably someone's going to ask for a game that you can't actually get from that list. And sorry, um, <laughs> Uh, there's a couple other, you know, nitty gritty details and stuff. I'll put that all up on the website if you want to check it out. So make sure you read through that before you enter. But the bottom line is we're giving away games and all you have to do is tell us what your favorite games of all time are. And then we're going to use that information to build a list from all of the listeners. So every one of you that supplies your top 20 is going to go into this pool and we're going to use that to build the top 20 listener games of all time, according to Board Gamers Anonymous listeners. So that's a fun episode. We we did that last year. We I think we even did it the year before that. So it's it's a lot of fun because we get to hear what you guys like and how it differs from us and also give away stuff, which is a lot of fun. Absolutely. So please, when that comes out, jump on. Let us know your top 20. Tell all your friends. Tell your family who plays board games that we want their list. It really is our favorite list of the year because we really want to know what you're playing and what you love to play. And by getting your top 20, it helps us talk about your games more throughout the year. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with BGA. But also, we have a little something called BGA Live. BGA Live. Yes, sir. We got our once a week live show on BoardGameArena.com. Also on Twitch.tv slash BoardGameArena. Every week on Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We are on for at least an hour and a half, um, all the way up till 10 o'clock. Last week, we actually went all the way to 11, playing uh, Clans of Caledonia. And we go through and we meet with friends. We talk about games. We go through our question of the week. We have fun with the people in the chat on Twitch. And we, you know, watch a game from uh, some of the awesome players on Board Game Arena. Uh, this week, we're going to be doing the newest of new games over there. And currently, the number one game on Board Game Arena, uh, Seven Wonders Duel. So I'm actually pretty excited for this because this is one of my favorite all-time two-player games. And the fact that they put it up there is just, it's amazing because it's its a really good implementation. Absolutely. So please join us 
when you listen to this on Wednesday, and if by chance you miss it, all of our live feeds are on Twitch at Board Game Arena. So please go there and subscribe. You'll get announcements when new streams pop up there. You'll be able to support the podcast and now support the live stream. So please support your most introverted friends possible for that Wednesday feed because we love to have you in the chat, love to have you watch, and please share the word about it. It means a lot. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with our listeners. That's what's going on with BGA Live. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are looking at the top games from Board Game Geek's top 100 list for 2020. Typically 2020, anything that's usually attached to it has kind of been bad. But in fact, (laughs) there is a great number of excellent games on this top list that's typically generated by all of the different board game people on Board Game Geek. Uh, We'll go through it briefly about how that all comes together. And we're going to run through the top 100. As Anthony said earlier, we'll let you know if it's still a buy, still a play, still a dodge, or the dreaded burn, which is possible, but more than likely, more like we haven't played it yet. (laughs) That's the most likely, yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to do this because last time I know I was just like, well, if I already own it, it's a buy. But now I'm at the point in my collecting where I'm like, well, I own a lot of games that I should probably get rid of. So uh, you might hear me say, I own this. I like it. It's a play. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think we might have to replace the burn with it's just 2020. Because I think that just <laughs> that that nails it. It's a 2020. Fine. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to say anything else. I, I'm I'm in for that, man. I'm good. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Anthony. So we have been looking at this list, and we've been looking at BGG for a very long time, and been utilizing their top 100. As you mentioned earlier, the top 100 changes all the time. Especially, we've seen changes in the number one games where over the years, it seems like those games would never move. And in fact, they have, not to mention the rest of the list, but usually the top saves at least quasi-solid. But again, there have been changes throughout the list. So if you haven't checked the top 100 yet, let us walk you through the top 100 games. So Anthony, you probably know a little bit more about this details as far as people voting, as far as you know, giving their ratings for games, how many of them actually you know, give their ratings and how that plays in. Tell us a little bit about that. You give me entirely too much credit, my friend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Board Game Geek has two numbers that you'll look at when you look at this list. There's the geek rating and then the average rating. The average rating is exactly what it sounds like. That's the average numerical rating that people give the game. So if the average rating is 8.81, then out of 10, that's the average people give it, right? Uh, The geek rating is a weighted version of that. And I'm not going to (laughs) read like how Board Game Geek describes their weighted rating, but it's based on the number of plays. It's based on the number of voters. It's based on recency. There's a lot of things that go into that. But effectively, the longer a game is up, the more often it is played. And the higher the overall rating, the higher the overall geek rating. So a game can get a higher ranking on Board Game Geek even if it has less plays, if that geek rating pushes it up. So there's a few, we're not going to run through like all these numbers, but like a good example is uh, Gaia Project, which is number eight on the list, right? It has a geek rating of 8.16. The next game is Twilight Struggle, it's 8.14. But Twilight Struggle has three times as many ratings in this system, right? So it just kind of balances it a little funnier. Like, so, anywho, um, <laughs> I know a lot of people are going to like write in and be like, well, that's not quite how this works. But when you look through the list, you'll see some games that are technically have an overall lower average rating than the game below it. But part of that's going to be because of the number of votes that it has. So, um, just throwing that out there now, uh, we're probably not going to list off the vote counts and all that stuff here. But you no. can easily find it in the chart on the site. Uh, in, in terms of like comparing it to the last time's list, I think there is about 20 or so new games on the list that have cycled in um, that have just been released since uh, 2017 when we did this list. So we'll try to call those out if they're new to the list. Um, if we're not 100% sure if it's new to the list, then you know you can always listen back to the stuff we did last time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, lots of new stuff in here. Definitely. And again, 
everyone rates their games differently. We'll talk about that soon in our future podcast because how you rate a game is important. And it differs really for everybody. You know, what a five to me is maybe different than a five to you. And even BGG has its own ratings. So depending on what you look as far as numbers concerned, you know, might differ from player to player. But since Board Game Geek does have so many ratings in their list, it's it's probably a very good measure of what people feel is the top 100 of all time. All right, Anthony. So with that said, let's get on to the list. Alrighty, number 100 is Kemet. This is a dude's on a map game with Egyptian gods and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. You got little pyramids. It's amazing. There's just a Kickstarter up like four months ago. And um, I have pre-ordered that. I never actually owned the original version of this. But now that I've pre-ordered it and spent a bunch of money on it, it is a buy. <laughs> <laughs> so wouldn't you say it's more technically gods on the map game? Mm. They're not all gods, okay. right? There's there's some just dudes, right? Yeah, some dudes, some mummies, you know. So let's let's not gender the people on the map because they're all different genders and non-genders. But nonetheless, yeah, Kemet has always been a buy for me since I played it way back when. I didn't own a copy just like Anthony. It's been in and out of print as time goes on. I backed the Kickstarter as well. It's one of the best people on the map fighting it out no matter what because you don't have a lot of space and you know the tile collection system is fantastic so a buy for me as well all right number 99 lorenzo il magnifico this one's been on the list i think since we did this last time Mm -hmm. fantastic euro game and it's about the italian renaissance but really the main thing about this game is the dice like you are using the dice and everybody uses the same dice they have workers that correlate to the dice that come up so kind of like a dice worker type of thing like a marco polo but it's a pool of dice and you're all stuck with the same cruddy numbers which it makes it fun uh for me this is definitely a buy i have this in my collection i love it i have all the stuff for it it's staying you know what's funny is the board game geek explanation for this game is Avoid excommunication <laughs> and lead your family to power during the Italian Renaissance. Doesn't sound like a cheerful game. No. Actually, it's 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 a lot of fun. You know, you're taking these small cards and you're building out the tableau. And then as Anthony said, with the dice, you're running your tableau. So there's a lot of variability in this game. I ha- also have everything for this game. The most recent expansion kind of dipped it down for me a little bit, but it's still a buy for me as well. Number 98, Grand Austria Hotel. So I own a copy of this game because I got it cheap somewhere. I have not played it, however, since the first time I played it. It is a play for me, but you just mentioned the expansion coming out soon on Kickstarter, so maybe they'll bump it up. Yeah, this game has always been a play for me because there's a broken component as far as the employees are concerned because you can get a person that gives you one piece of cake, whereas I got a person who gives me 12 victory points at the end of the game so that's always been a bit problematic it's coming out on kickstarter hopefully they address those issues and it might move this game for me from a play to a buy right now still a play all right number 97 is barrage simone luciani game from cranio creations and it was an infamously bad kickstarter so the fact that it is ranked this high after all of the negative votes from the backers is impressive this one might even go higher <laughs> over time um i own a copy of this i have yet to play my copy because there are several broken components and they've still yet to ship the second kickstarter with the fixes so i can't i don't know i I had one bad play of this at pax years ago and i haven't been able to play it since because of like very poor production so i guess a dodge until they fix all that i don't know yeah i generally like this game i had a good play of it when we first played i played it several times afterwards as you mentioned anthony the problems are there. The rule book honestly happens to be the biggest problem of all. Mm, it's yeah. very easy to misunderstand, you know, the flow of water and how certain things move in the game. As you mentioned, with the broken components, I don't own a copy of this game just because it was a massive game and it just didn't deserve the massive price that goes along with it. And then obviously all the other issues. So this is probably a dodge right now but as you said once they get their act together and maybe there's another reprint of this game it moves up to a play all right number 96 the first of many pandemic iberia uh this is my favorite version of pandemic 
across the board. So I give this one a buy. I love this particular implementation. It's clever. It's historical. It's honestly, it's topical to right now in terms of like type of diseases you're fighting. Yeah, if I'm going to play a version of like old school pandemic, it's going to be this one. Yeah, I've never played this version. I've heard very good things about it. I'm not a pandemic fan. But if I did play pandemic, it probably would be this one. So hopefully someday I get to play it. All right, number 95, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. This is a mashup of like the mechanics in uh, Descent and Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. So it uses the app to guide you through the adventure. It uses a cool card mechanic instead of dice uh, to manage your various roles that you'll take. And it's a lot of fun for an exploration and adventure game. These don't usually go right up my alley, but this one absolutely did. So I've played through the campaign twice. I'm playing through the second campaign now with the expansion with my kids. Definitely a buy for me. Never played it. Big Lord of the Rings fan. When it first came out, it just seemed a little too expensive. And some of the artwork wasn't as good as their other card games and War of the Ring. And I was like, do I really need to own this as well as everything else? So I kind of sat back a little bit. I really love the fact that Anthony loves this. So hopefully someday I get a chance to play it. It is expensive. (laughs) I'll give it that. Uh, Number 94, Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. And we come to the first game for which I have no interest. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't played it, probably never will. I've heard it's a very good legacy. I just have no interest. I played a lot of the Clanks. Unfortunately, this happens to be one of them that I have not played. So can't even talk about it. All right. <laughs> Number 93, we got Old School Pandemic. This is one of those situations where it has a much lower geek rating than the games above and below it, actually. Uh, 7.61, but it has almost 100,000 ratings, so it bumps it up on the list. Sure. I don't really consider this a game anymore. Pandemic is more of a mechanism. This is the mm-hmm. pure version of that, so it's fine, but I would never play base Pandemic anymore. I would play it in something else. Yeah, there's so many other better versions of this, and Pandemic as a game is a formula and a lucky situation based on how the cards come out. So yeah, this is going to be alpha gamed or you're going to get unlucky or I don't know. It's a thing. It's fine, but it's a thing. Uh, It's a dodge for me. All right. Tainted Grail, the fall of Avalon. This is another one of those big, big box games. I think from Awakened Realms uh, that was on Kickstarter like a year or two ago. I did not back it. I have not played it. I've heard very good things, but at the same time, those big exploration Battle games are not typically for me, so can't speak to this one. I want to say I've played this just because of the contact high that I got from, like, you know, <laughs> wandering around the massive miniatures at their booth for so many different conventions. But the sad fact is, is this another one of these massive, massive Kickstarter games with all of the miniatures? And as much, again, as I love Arthurian legend above and beyond anything else in fantasy. I just could never swing the price on this. So, yeah. All right. Number 91 is Dominion. Old school Dominion. Uh, This is a game. I do have a copy of this, the second edition, and it's solid. It's a great game. It's another one that kind of falls in that pandemic bucket of this is the pure raw version of this. I'd rather play either the later versions with expansions or a different game with the same mechanic. So it's a play for me. Yeah, this is another granddaddy of the game. The mechanics are, again, solid. I think it holds up better than Pandemic. But since there's been so many expansions, and if you've played any number of them, it's almost impossible to go back to Dominion. That being said, it's still a play. Number 90, Trajan, the first Stefan Fell game on the list. Uh, This is, I don't, no, it was not his first Ancient Rome game. It was one of several, though. And (laughs) I think of five, maybe. Uh, Uses like a a clever action selection type of thing with the Mancala, and it's good. It's not my favorite of his games. It's a little hard to get to the table. So it's a solid play, but. Of course I own it because it's Stefan Feld. Yeah, if if there was Mario Party in ancient Rome, that would be this <laughs> game. Uh it's still pretty genius. It's still better, it's still very crunchy, but it, it is thematically just all over the place. It really is, you know, when when people talk about Feld's point salad, typically they're talking about Trajan and many of other of his games. So it's fine. It's definitely worth the play. I own a copy of it, at, you know. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not the fell that I'm pulling for. Number 89. This is an old school one from the 80s. Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. The Tim's Murders and Other Cases. So I love these. I have all four boxes of them. They're just so much fun to sit down with. 
I've never actually played any of them with other people, though. I do all these kind of on my own, so I don't do very well at them in terms of answering all the questions. But you go through old school style newspapers, you go through clue books. It's like a choose your own adventure type of thing. and You're just trying to solve these cases. So much fun. Uh, there are better versions of this that have come out, but this is the most charming to me. Um, this is definitely a buy. But you've got to like this kind of game. Never played this. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is kind of a hit for me. But for some reason, I've never come around this. And I've, again, never seen this in print. So, yeah, it's never played. Number 88, Tigris and Euphrates uh, from the 90s. It's a Reiner Knizia classic. Uh, not a fan. Not a fan at all. This is a, uh, it's a dodge. It's a pretty solid dodge for me. I've, I played this once. I uh, played Yellow and Yangtze actually before it. And I was like, oh, I'll play the original to see. No, I still don't like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> not a fan. Our friend Dave kind of tortures me about this, that I don't like this game. Typically, my 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 uh, chip on my shoulder is I'm not a big fan of abstracts, but there's just something about this game that is so devoid of just really any thematic kind of flavor to it that it's just something I will absolutely always dodge. Still a decent game. I just, I just not for me. Yeah, I love abstracts, and it's not for me. Uh, 87, Roll for the Galaxy. This one came out in 2014. That seems crazy. Um, <laughs> I'll read these. Uh, it's it's raised for the galaxy with dice, but it's quicker. It's more accessible. It's a little bit easier to teach. Um, for my money, this is the best version of the for the galaxy formula, it, both in terms of like how easy it is to teach other people, but also how quickly it moves. Um, it's just a fantastic game. So this is a buy. I have it. I have all the expansions, even even the really expensive, stupid one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this is a buy for me as well. It's my favorite type of roll race. <laughs> any other kind of new frontiers you know all those different kind of race games as anthony said it's it's fast but it's also a beautiful production and as anthony mentioned there is uh expansions out for this the this the first expansion is essential second expansion has merit to it uh that being said don't own the other expansions but hope to do and there's a lot of digital implementations of this so if you haven't played roll for the galaxy or if race for the galaxy kind of scared you off jump into roll for the galaxy i think you'll enjoy it Absolutely. All right. Next up on the list at number 86 is Raiders of the North Sea. This is the first of the Shem Phillips games. It is, I guess it's kind of taken over as one of those gateway worker placement type of games. I've actually never played Raiders of the North Sea, despite the ubiquity of the game, but I've heard plenty. I've seen it on the Switch. I've played it at a convention digitally, um, but I've never gotten my hands on a physical copy, so I can't actually speak to this. Yeah, you know, it's really funny, too. I've played all of his other games Raiders of the North Sea must have come out. People must have played it for five minutes and then it disappeared. And I've never seen it again. I remember it had all of the expansions. It was on Kickstarter and stuff. I was like, Oh, that's nice. I have several games that are almost like this, but I don't know what to say. I've heard this is the weakest of his games, but I can't speak to it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the one that got the Kenderspiel nominee too, or nomination too, but who knows? There is a new version of that coming out, too. It's been, like, rethemed, so maybe I'll oh, get more play. Cool. Sweet. 85, Paladins of the West Kingdom. So there you go, right next to it. Uh, this is the most recent full game from Shem Phillips and company. Um, and I think there's another one actually coming out this fall, like the third in that trilogy. But mm-hmm. this is my favorite of his games. This is, in my opinion, the best of them. It's also the longest, but uh, it has a little more depth, a little more interesting decisions to make. It's not just a pure worker placement game. You have, like, that deck of... Uh, paladins that you're going through and trying to utilize to give you special powers in each round very very good this one's a buy for me actually i really like this one yeah this is a play for me i i think this again as agreeing with you anthony i think this is the best of his games so far obviously we'll see the revision of raiders of the north sea and see how that comes out there are some problems with it but overall mechanically i think this is the height of his system absolutely yeah uh 84 code names so this is again like we get these games that are just basically systems at a certain point this is the original right mm-hmm. um yes. this is the, Sp- the spiel winner from ni- two th- only 2015 which is crazy uh, but this game has taken over the world it's a play for me because it's good and if you put it in front of me and say this is what we're doing i'm like sure but i don't love it if <laughs> it's kind of like too much right saturation at a certain point i've played so many games of code names and it's fine, but you just want something else to it. And a lot of games have come out that give it something else. Um, I do like Duet quite a bit, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Codenames, so it's a play. 
Yeah, I, I think I want to give this game two ratings just because there are really two parts or two roles in this game. Either you're giving the clues or you're receiving the clues. If you're receiving the clues, this game's a dodge. It's mm. a solid dodge. If you're giving the clues, the game's a play. That being said, you, you can't always give the clues. So as much as this is a great game system, I own I own this game. But I'm going to say that nine times out of ten, I'm going to dodge this. Yeah, I can see that. That's a good that's a good call. 83, Russian Railroads. This is my all-time favorite, just pure worker placement game. But, and I know Chris is already going to say this, so I'm just going to say it first. It <laughs> needs the expansion. Like the base game, I still like the base game, but I've never, not since day one, the first time we played it, I did not argue with people who said it's not great, <laughs> like without it. Um, so I know that's separate from this. This is the rating for the base game, but I will say this is an absolute buy for me. And I would still buy the original game if I couldn't have the expansion, but I really want that expansion in it if we're going to play. I think pretty much what everything Anthony said, the base game is still a buy. It's still a great game. It is a little on rails, but on bump. But <laughs> the German railroad really opens the game up. And I mean, I mean that legitimately. The pun is there, but nonetheless, it really does open the game up and allow you to do different things to score points. When you play Russian railroads, there's always a best first spot, second spot, third spot, and such. Here with the German railroads, much more. But that being said, if you don't own a copy of it, buy it. It's a great game. 82, it's patchwork. Uh, You're building little quilts. This is, (laughs) I mentioned earlier that uh, Seven Wonders Duel is one of my favorite all-time like short two-player games. This is the other game that would like vie for that. It's a fantastic two-player game. I can play it with my five-year-old all the way up to my wife and my parents. Like it is just across all generations. Everybody loves it. It's easy. It's accessible. There's like six versions of it. One of Uwe Rosenberg's best games, if you're asking me. There are so many two-player games out there on Board Game Geek and just out there in the wild, and it's always hard because you never are quite sure if you can get those games to the table because typically you have a game group or you have a family. So unless it's just you and one other person on a a deserted island, two-player games are hard to get to the table. Patchwork is not. Patchwork is a fine game, and it's definitely something that always gets to the table. It doesn't overstate its welcome. It really fits its time quite well. It's as complex as it needs to be. And yet, as Anthony said, there's multiple versions, which are pretty much the same game. If you don't own this, buy it. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. Absolutely. Yeah. 81, Toi. This is a game in which you are defending a French city from invaders. You do that by influencing various merchants, knights, clergy, and basically building up your influence in the city and trying to score the most points. Every round, though, there's going to be some kind of foreign invader that comes in, and you kind of have to work together to beat them back. But, of course, you're just trying to get your own points. I really enjoy this game quite a bit. Uh, I have, I think I'm probably leaning more towards the newer implementation of this from Black Angel. I think it's just more fun for me. So this is a solid play. The expansion does level it up quite a bit. But in this case, again, because we're talking just about base game, it's a play for me. Yeah, this game's a dodge for me. And again, it's one of the top 100 games of all time that people typically like to bring to the table that I'm like, I'm just going to pass on this. It just doesn't fit for me whatsoever. Just the idea of, you know, spending all this time and effort to, to get your dice only to have your dice taken away from you. And then it's just a very bland kind of presentation. I still haven't played Black Angel. And maybe that implementation will really work for me. So at this point, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dodge toi. Yeah. I think you like black angel because you can still buy people's dice, but there's ways to store them and save them. And also they all cost one. So you're not paying like a crazy amount of money to get them. Nice. All right. Number 80 is Mombasa. First game from Alexander Fister on the list. Uh, I really enjoy this game a lot specifically for that card mechanism. Like the way you're like basically like loading these things up for what's going to come back into your hand. I own a copy somewhere, but I'll be honest, this doesn't come to the table, if nothing else, because the theme is just not okay, right? <laughs> it's just not okay anymore. Um, it wasn't okay when it came out five years ago. It's certainly not okay now. So it's one of those things, like if you rethemed this, great, it's a play. If you're just talking about the game as is, it's kind of become a dodge because I just don't feel comfortable bringing it to the table. Um, mm-hmm. It's in that in-between area. This game has been on and off my top 100 since I got a chance to play it. I didn't own a copy initially. So when you put this on the table, it's this generic blob of, you know, 
area control situation you're trying to build. There's diamonds, there's books, and there's this totally excellent card play and market situation that you're managing throughout the game. It is utterly a fantastic game. It is the solidest of buys as far as all the things it can do. That being said, as Anthony said, it is problematic for many reasons that are not as well addressed as they probably could be. They're kind of addressed in the rule book. Uh, so I own a copy of this. It's sealed. I still have not opened it. You know, I'm I'm kind of <laughs> kind of going both ways on this, but nonetheless, uh, Mombasa for the mechanics and for what it is is fantastic. A little problematic as far as the theme is concerned. So take it as you can. All right, number 79 is Architects of the West Kingdom. Number three from Chem Phillips. Uh, this is the first in the West Kingdom series, and it's the lightest, obviously, of the of the three. Um, it's pure worker placement, and the reason that people like it is because it has that power-up mechanic where you build up the power of your workers by placing more there over the course of several rounds, and then people can arrest them. So um, it's cool. It's clever. It gets a little old after a few plays. So this is a play for me. I own a copy of it and I like it and I've yet to play the expansion, but it's one of those games that you, you kind of get it after a few plays. Sure. This is the game I played the most out of all of his collection of games. It's just really easy to get to the table. Everyone pretty much gets it right on. There is some quirky, odd mechanics as far as, you know, getting your people, releasing your people, black marks, all that kind of stuff. But as far as sending more people to an area to collect more resources, it is totally spot on. That being said, it's just a play for me. I think Anthony mentioned it best as far as like, once you played this a couple of times, you feel like you played it out and there's really not much more to do with it. Yep. All right. Number 78. I don't want to skip over it per se, but Dominion Intrigue, exactly what I said for Dominion. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> Different cards, same idea. Yeah, this is a little bit better. This is a full standalone game. But it is the, I believe, I haven't looked ahead on the list, but I believe this is the top Dominion Dominion game. So it's certainly a play. And again, if you don't own any Dominion game, this should be your buy. Number 77 is Battlestar Galactica, the board game. Uh, my opinion, the best hidden traitor game out there. It's big, it's long, it's convoluted, it's Ameritrash all day long, but... <laughs> It's fantastic and it perfectly captures the theme of that show. It sucks that it's out of print and the license is dead because it's super hard to find now. But if you know somebody with a copy, go play it. And if you see a copy that isn't crazy expensive, go buy it. You know what? It's really funny because back in the day, 2008, when games came out, you know, especially IP games came out, you expect them to be like video games. They're just going to be all kinds of bad. Battlestar Galactica, the board game, was all kinds of good. In fact, its expansions only made the game better in both production and in complexity. You don't have to be a fan of the show, but if you were, you're kind of blown away that there was ever anything created this good. Uh, now, the only downside is when Anthony's playing Callie and you tell him to shoot Vinny because Vinny's clearly the Cylon, he's not going to do it. It's so damn it, Anthony, why didn't you use your one special ability? It's been seven years. If you want to know why, it's because I'm bad at these games. I'm really bad at them. But it's still fun. You had one job. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one thing your character could do. <laughs> you, you asked the wrong guy, man. I'm bad at this stuff. <laughs> what they say, don't give someone a gun unless you know what they're going to do with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And now you know what I'm going to do with it. Nothing. That's right. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Number 76, On Mars. This one just came out in January of this year, and it's already up to number 76. Vitalis Cerda. This is his most recent game. It is a just a fantastic game. Conceptually, you are moving back and forth from orbit down to the planet and just building everything up and all these different things you're trying to do and move these systems up. It's your classic Lacerda where you have three or four systems all kind of moving in tandem and you have to manage how they all move together. But combined with, you know, tools, just beautiful artwork of Mars and just the clever use of the mechanics of getting on and off the planet and moving around the planet to pick various things up. Um, just a fantastic game. Not my favorite favorite of his, but honestly, that's such a high bar. That doesn't really mean anything. It's definitely a buy. It's amazing that he's able to keep coming up with these interesting mechanics. There's so many different aspects to his games that make his game so thematic. And I mean thematic in, as far as the gameplay is concerned. As you mentioned, moving back and forth 
is you know between mars and earth you would think or you would assume like oh that's just simple thing you don't really pay attention to but obviously that's going always going to be the most challenging of any kind of mars mission and to be able to do it on the fly right he built a huge beautiful mechanic out of it the game is crunchy and complex as all get out uh i mean Ian O'Toole's artwork on this game i mean you really do feel i mean this is the, the definitive mars game i mean there's a lot of great mars games out there don't get me wrong i have a bunch on my own list but if you love space if you love vital Lacerda, you can't do better definitely not 75 the quacks of quedlinburg uh this is just a clever cute quirky just perfect family weight game i uh, just i've picked this up uh just kind of on a lark before i mean we knew about it obviously going into it but i hadn't played it when i got it and now that i have it and have played it several times um it's just such a fantastic, uh, fun thing that anybody can play. Kids, adults, whatever. It's quick to teach. And the expansion just adds to that a little bit, which is great. I'm looking forward to the new expansion. So this is a uh, solid, solid play for me. I played this way back when, when it was in its German release. And I will not insult our German audience by trying to repronounce <laughs> the German title. But I remember playing this at a convention, which just random game and they're like hey you want to play this i'm like yeah sure and again it's a press your luck game as you pull tiles out of this bag to build up your you know potion and hopefully it doesn't explode but you get to decide what goes into your bag so it's a bag building game we already played orleans had been out some time this was a lighter version funner kind of family weight version the herb witches are out the new expansion's coming out this this game is a buy for me i know a lot of people i am not one of them (laughs) But a lot of people have spent a lot of money upgrading their tokens, and I am completely jealous about that. But nonetheless, it is a buy for, you know, so many different reasons. All right, number 74 is Rising Sun. This is the second of Eric Lang's big mythology series games after Blood Rage. Uh, And in this one, you're kind of working together a little bit. Like, it's got a diplomacy-style approach, but without all the super crazy backstabbing and attacking. Um, It's people on a map but at the same time it is not really like you're just gonna pick up various cards that are gonna give different types of abilities and power similar to blood rage they're gonna kind of guide how you score points i'll be honest having played this three or four times it's yet to really click with me either you just kind of are able to go with the flow with the clan that you pick and do what you need to do or you're not and people just stomp on you for two and a half hours I have not enjoyed this nearly as much as I hoped I would. I do own it. I backed all the stuff for it, but it is on the dodge list. I'm probably going to get rid of it at some point if I can ever figure out how to ship it. Yeah, I backed the Kickstarter as well. I don't have all of the stuff for it, and I do regret that because I do believe there is a radical difference in gameplay value if you play the base version of this, which is all cardboard chits, versus if you play the upgraded version, which has a lot more of the miniatures and such. And not just because it looks cooler, but it really does function differently. So as Anthony mentioned, you're doing diplomacy, but not the worst kind of diplomacy. Although there is some challenges as far as, you know, teaming up with certain players and letting other people run to victory. It's not as much of a dudes on the map, even though it is a, you know, situation like that. It really is a Euro game. You do want to claim certain spots on the board. I own this. It's a, still a buy for me. It has so much stuff on this. This could almost be a lifestyle game. All right. Number 73 is Eldritch Horror. This is a big sprawling map of a game, kind of a sequel to Arkham Horror, which was a longtime classic from Fantasy Flight Games. I've never played it, and I don't really want to because it's just not the kind of sprawling Arkham dice rolly type of game that's for me. Like, I like some of the other Arkham games. Not This just doesn't seem like something I would like. Yeah, I still haven't played this yet. I, I was definitely late to the Arkham Horror you know, kind of thing, but I heard good things about this as, as <laughs> I guess, in contrast to Arkham Horror. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever play this. I can't think that I would, but nonetheless, eventually the madness does get us all. <laughs> it does indeed. 72 is Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. Um, let's hold off on this because 4th Edition is higher on the list and it's I don't know. Same thing. Also, neither one of us has played third edition. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. 71 El Grande. I've still yet to play this, so I'm gonna let you talk about it. El Grande is one of the classic games of all times. It is an area control game. 
but the area control game is operated quite differently. So as you're trying to control those different areas, you are utilizing these unique cards that tell you how many of your people are you're able to put out there on the board. But there's a really interesting tower mechanic and how those people play out. And there is major control and minor control throughout. It's had a reprint, so it went from cubes to meeple at some point. This is a quite good game. It's a classic game of all time. It has a big box version of the game. If you haven't played it, you should. I don't own a copy of it, but it's definitely a buy. All righty. Uh, next up on the list is number 70, Aeon's End. This is a deck building game with like a few quirks to it. So they remove a lot of the um, kind of extraneous tracking that you'd get in a game like Sentinels of the Multiverse. And they have a, a unique deck building mechanic where the order in which the cards get played is going to determine the order in which they come out in the future. It's very clever. It's a lot of fun. They've kind of oversaturated by releasing so much content in such a short period of time. I think there's like five or six of these now in four years. But it's still a very solid game. I do have a copy of it. I give it a very strong play. Yeah, I own a copy of this as well. I got it as a, a gift from Anthony. Have not been able to get a group yet for this. It kind of scares away a lot of the Euro players, but I hope to get to the table someday. All right, number 69, Agricola Revised Edition. I think we all know what I think about Agricola. <laughs> you love it? Nah, <laughs> it's fine. His other games sure. are better. You go for it. <laughs> Well, Agricola Revised Edition, we should say Revised Edition because Agricola is going to show up later here. Agricola Revised Edition does a couple of things smart. Obviously, it rebalances the card decks, which is essential for the game. It removes the extra players, the five and six player, which you can pick out in an expansion of the game. It has all the animeeples in it, which you did get with the later versions of it. But in particular, it revises the board. So the revisions in the board and how it kind of snaps together makes the game so much better. It's still a buy for me. If you had to make a decision between both editions, pick up the new editions. Absolutely. It's better in so many different ways. If you own an older version of it and you love it, you should probably stick with it. But if for some reason you wanted a classic, cleaner, more efficient game, pick up this copy. All right. Number 68 is Crokinole flicking some discs. I love this, actually. I, I want one of these, and I just can never quite pull the trigger, which is stupid because I spend $100 on board games all the time, and these are like <laughs> maybe $50 more than that, but Crokinole is fantastic. See, the problem with Crokinole is that the the game is great, but really it all comes down to the board, and it feels like almost trying to pick out a tattoo, yep. right? It's like... <laughs> It's like, what kind, what, who am I as a crokinole board? Like, am I all fancy or am I basic or do I have some, you know, etchings or is it like really trendy looking or is it different colors? So I never know what to buy when it comes to these boards. They are expensive. I mean, you can get a, you know, a cheap board for probably about 75 bucks, but really the, any of the high level boards are going to cost you, I don't know, at least $200. Some you can hang on the wall. They're so pretty. Uh, that being said, the game's a play for me. I can't see pulling the trigger on something this big unless I had a pretty grand house where I could just leave this set up. All right, number 67 is Lisboa. Next game from Vitella Serta on the list. And you are rebuilding the city of Lisboa after it gets completely pummeled by earthquakes and floods. And you know what? It sounds like 2020, but uh, in the 18th century. <laughs> uh, this is a fantastic game. <sighs> it's brilliant. It looks beautiful. Uh, it's, you know, tool, of course, but just like a different take on that. Uh, it's again, not quite my favorite Vitala Serta game, but it, what are you going to do? The bar is so high. It's a buy. I have a copy. It's in fact, my favorite Vitala Serta game. And as Anthony mentioned, it's very thematic because obviously you're dealing with all these different tragedies that came about. And now you're dealing with the political and the religious structure to put together back Lisboa as best you can. It's fantastic tableau, you know, building and Ian O'Toole's artwork yet again. I have a friend of mine who doesn't like the game, but loves the artwork so much that he wants to put it or has already put it on his wall as just decorative art. So great game. All right. Number 66 is Kalis, a game I somehow still have not played, despite the fact that the designer made one of my favorite games of all time after this. So I can't really speak to this, but I'm sure it's good. It's a great game. It's, it's a 
cutthroat Euro game. And I've, and there's been some Euro games out there that have kind of claimed that, but there really isn't a cutthroat Euro game like Kalos. Now, we're talking about the 2005 version, but this was recently reprinted and revised. So the new version's even better, sharper gameplay artwork. And in fact, the only thing about the classic that makes it better is the really kind of like unhappy king who's just snarling at you. But again, if you're going to play Kalis, play the full player count. Don't play less than that or you're not going to get the most out of the game. All right, number 65 is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. Uh, this won the Kenner Spiel this year, and it is a cooperative trick-taking game. It is my favorite trick-taking game. It was like instantly engaging. It comes with 50 different missions. Once you get past like the first 10, they're incredibly difficult. Uh, just a fantastic, highly replayable game. It's actually on Board Game Arena now, too, so if you don't have a copy, you can just go play it online. Yeah, the first couple times I played this, I kind of found it quite boring. Uh, obviously, I need to play this more. It's great. It's on board Game Arena, so I'll play it a couple more times. Space theme's great. Trick-taking has always been good in my book. But right at the, this point, it's still a dodge. All right, number 64 is the Lords of Waterdeep. This is the gold standard, at least it was until very recently, of uh, kind of uh, gateway worker placement games taking place in the, the world of Dungeons and Dragons and Waterdeep. Um, just fantastic production, especially for the time back in 2012 from Wizards of the Coast. This was a very solid production. I still have a copy somewhere. It's a strong play for me still. Um, if you have the expansion, Scoundrels of Skullport. I agree with everything Anthony says. The production was off the charts back in 2012. The expansion is essential, not just kind of needed, but essential. I've played this a lot online, as, as Anthony mentioned, is was kind of like the classic of worker placement games. So you, it does get a lot of play. I own a copy. It's still sealed. I'm waiting for the expansion. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to open until then. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> 63 is Clank, a deck building adventure. The original Clank uh, from Direwolf. And I don't know, this game... I always wanted to like it. It just felt a little too simple, a little too, I don't know. Even with the expansions thrown in with like the tweaks with the Egyptian map or the sunken map, it's just not for me. And I can't quite put my finger on why. So Clank is a dodge for me, unfortunately. Yeah, this is a hard one. I like the game. I think the mechanics are really, you know, solid here as far as making noise wakes up the dragon. So you have this bag building situation. The cards are pretty smart. But as you mentioned, Anthony, it is still somewhat a somewhat generic game. I, and again, I'll, I'm with you on that. I can't put my finger on what makes this a dodge or what makes this a bear play. I'm probably going to say, man, this is really hard. I'm probably going to give this the most basic of plays possible because this seems like a basic pumpkin spice latte where it's like <laughs> it's every it's in everything. You're like, oh, OK, fine. I'll drink it. I don't care. It's that time of year. So yeah clank all right 62 is Keyflower. is a euro classic i do have a copy somewhere i picked it up at a convention um the quinet edition plus the expansions i've still yet to play it though which is unfortunate because having learned it a couple times i'm very excited to play it but i don't have a full opinion yet so if there was a second game in the euro arena that was vicious first Kalis <laughs> and then Keyflower. Now, Keyflower is all about bidding. So it's blind bidding, and you have your meeples that are going to be bid. Now, there's a lot of mechanics that switch and mess that up. But yeah, you can certainly outbid people. And nonetheless, as you build up your own little village area, people can jump over to your village area and take over your supply and make it harder for you to use your own building. So it is brutal. It is vicious. It is a solid game. Uh, I'm going to give it a play. All right, number 61 is Five Tribes. This one is uh, came out from Days of Wonder back in 2014. It has a Mancala-style uh, gameplay, and you're you know moving various different people around um, throughout Mancala, trying to claim these different oases. There's like gins in it, so it's kind of magical as well. Um, I really enjoy this game quite a bit. There is a little bit of AFP, um, but if you play with the right people, it's not too bad. You just need to play with people who aren't going to try to min-max the whole game every time they take a turn. Uh, but it's just, the production's fantastic. The expansions add so much additional content to this. It is uh, very solid. One of my favorite from Days of Wonder. The smaller the player count, the better the game. And Five Tribes with the AP that comes along with this, 
and the Mancala mechanics here, it can become a bad game with too many players and too many AP. It can become a bad game right away. This is also another game that had super problematic situation with it where you are basically selling and buying slaves as a commodity. They swapped that out in the second edition. Good job. Days of Wonder. Love your games. Great production here. And in general, this game is a play for me just because the player count is not solid throughout. But if you play at a lower player count, it's a fantastic game. All right. Number 60 on the list, Teotihuacan, City of Gods. Um, This is uh, Tashini's game that came out two years ago and was just an instant hit. This is one of his most popular games. And it's what it's I think it's my favorite game of his. It's actually moved its way up into my top 10 personally here in 2020 because I've been playing it so much online. Uh, I absolutely love this game. It, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot to it at first, but the depth comes out the more you play it, the randomness of where things lie, the randomness of where the dice are, having to overcome where other people's dice are. So maybe you can't take the action you need to take at a particular time because you can't afford it. Uh, it's just so much variability there, even though it doesn't seem like it's going to be there. So uh, you throw in some of the expansions with the variable player powers and the different scoring mechanics and all the different things you can do there. And this game is just spectacular. So Teotihuacan is a strong buy for me. I'm going to tell the Voyages of Marco Polo you said that. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it did it pass Marco? It did pass Marco Polo this year. Yeah, we're working on our top 100 list, so I have that. It is above <laughs> the Voyages of Marco Polo now. That's unheard of. It is. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is a solid game from top to bottom. Again, you know, the, the production, the mechanics... Uh, the building of the pyramid here is just is just great. It's as Anthony said, I played a lot more of this game on Board Game Arena. I don't own a copy myself, but as Anthony said, the more you do play this game, the more you do want to own a game of this. And uh, maybe the expansions, maybe the expansions do a lot more for this game. So looking forward to that. Uh, number fifty nine, Dominant Species. This is one of the best area control type of games out there but also with like a worker placement mechanic and like an old school worker placement mechanic too where you place all your workers and then you're gonna run through them um like bus or uh in age of discovery do like those older games and so this is you talk about mean euros this is way <laughs> up there on the list my friend <laughs> like, it, is. it is literally about evolution and destroying each other as best as possible using the powers you have and uh, it's just a spectacular game. If it wasn't so long, I would play this a lot more. So if there was a number three <laughs> game, <laughs> as far as Vicious Euro is concerned, it would be Dominant Species. In particular, you know, the attacking and moving other pieces or other species out of your area is not abnormal. I mean, you see that in a lot of games. But there are cards in this game that are super brutal and are just all about wiping you out. So a little volcanic <laughs> eruption and there goes your whole species. Uh, this is one of my favorite games of all time. I've got a lot of plays at the table. The action selection and then pulling those pieces off and seeing what happens is really dynamic. The scoring's a little challenging. Be sure you have someone who's played the game before, before sitting down trying to score this game. Uh, just a great game from GMT. Ocean's Dominant Species has come out soon. Really looking forward to it. Uh, definite, definite buy for me. All right, number 58 on the list is Fields of Arl. This is from Uwe Rosenberg, and it was his big sandbox game um, before he released several other sandbox games. Um, so uh, <laughs> when it was first released, this was for two players only, and that made it pretty limited in who could play it. Like, it's still like a two-plus-hour game. It can go upwards of three, and it's this big, sprawling sandbox of a thing. Fantastic game, an absolutely just phenomenal game. Uh, plays well at one, plays well at two. And now with the expansion, the TM Trade expansion, you can play with three. Um, it's one of those funny games that you look at it, you're like, this is like a fantastic, just top 100, obviously, game. And then you look at its other games that maybe play with a more of a variable player count and do some other different things. And it, this one just doesn't hit the table as often, but it's still a very strong buy, especially if you want something that's tuned for fewer players. It's really hard to say here because there so many of his games are like so many of his other games. Yeah. I played this at two. I played at three. I haven't played it at one, which you which is a really good point that you make here because not well, or not many of if any of his games play at one. So as far as the game's concerned, for me, it's a play. 
as far as a Uwe Rosenberg game about farming goes, it's probably a dodge just because I find his other games in this kind of genre to be better. Yeah, that's the hard thing. Like, which one would you rather play? And that one does fall down the list. Uh, Number 57 is my all-time favorite Vitola Serda game, The Gallerist. This is just a elegantly simple game in which you really only have eight actions and they're only can take those actions on four different locations. You have a limited, you have the one guy that moves around. You can leave assistance behind to take extra actions, but really just the one person moving around taking actions and you're buying art. You're making the artist more famous and then you're selling the art. It's basically it. Um, you know, it has all the hallmarks of his other games of all these systems upon systems. And they're very carefully interwoven, but this one really does boil it down to the essence. And you can play this in 90 minutes with three or four players, which is insane for the Tala Serda game. A lot of his games run much longer, two to three hours. So it is my favorite of his. It's the easiest to teach. It's the most accessible. Uh, and honestly, it, to me, it's like the most engaging, um, maybe because of the time, but also just because the theme is so well integrated. It's a solid buy for me. The art aesthetic here is just unquestionably fantastic. And obviously the theme here is something that you don't usually see about operating a art gallery and you're like, Hmm, that seems kind of, eh. but actually this really is solid. And again, I think this mechanics here in the galleries could be used for so many other games. Just the idea of like being an agent for other people's, you know, top talent and such. So yeah, this is definitely a pickup. All right. Number 56 is the newest of the cooperative LCGs from fantasy flight, Marvel champions, the card game. Uh, I picked this up, Last year when it came out, I've picked up all the expansions since, and I absolutely love it. It's a fantastic game where Arkham Horror, the card game, took the story building elements of Lord of the Rings, the card game. This one took the combat elements and refined those. So we have this like weird tree now of games where you have the original Lord of the Rings, warts and all. And if you really want a story driven game that plays really well solo and has good progression, uh, you go the Arkham Horror route. If you really want a game that like narrows in and refines the combat mechanics and lets you build all those crazy combos that you want to play in a card game, you go Marvel Champions. So uh, we'll get into, <laughs> I guess I'll say that for episode 300, which of these is my favorite, but I do own all three <laughs> and I think they all fit different areas. Now I'm not buying all the materials for all three of these, but I, I will say that they're all very good games. I think you have a flowchart article in your future, Anthony. Yeah, I, probably. <laughs> I mean, there's Star Wars, the card game, Lord of the Rings, the card game. I mean, Fantasy Flight's done a fantastic job putting out these living card games. And it's, as you mentioned, you know, these are lifestyle games. It's it's like, which one do you choose? Or if you choose many, I hope your bank account's big enough. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I've, I've been buying all the Arkham stuff since it came out. I don't know. We'll get to that later. But <laughs> it's too many cards. Yeah, I mean, these are great games, and it's it's really a choose-your-own-flavor kind of thing. This is a play for me. It's not as thematic as Arkham Horror for me, uh, but it's still a very good game. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, 55, Race for the Galaxy. Uh, this one still ranks higher than Roll, but as I said before, this is the classic. This is the original version of this formula. Um, it's still very good, but it does have a few rough edges around the on sides, and there are certain c- expansions that make the game I wouldn't say more playable, but better. Um, so this is a play. I honestly, the base game might even be a dodge for me. I don't know that I would sit down and play it if someone just had the base game of Race of the Galaxy out. But it is a solid implementation. Obviously, it's the first of those implementations. But there's other games that come out since then with those mechanics that I like better. Yeah, I, I guess this falls into the pandemic and Dominion situation where this game was a classic and it did many things right and then later on it was kind of reinvented in better ways it's still one of my favorite games it's still a buy even though it does have its challenges and probably better off in a different form all right number 54 is seven wonders this is the behemoth of card drafting games um and actually just got a second edition which i don't think they have a separate listing for i'm not sure but this is the where it's sitting here now and I don't know. I honestly didn't like this game a ton when I first played it because it's the kind of game where you kind of need to know what's in the deck uh, to be able to plan accordingly. But once you do and you can think it through, you can see what other people are doing and start hate drafting. uh, It's spectacular. And the fact that it's a game you can play with seven people in 20 minutes is even more spectacular. So this is an easy buy for like 
honestly any gamer because it's just a game you should have in your collection yeah this was my number one game of all time when we first started doing top 100 list i love seven wonders i love card drafting i absolutely adore tableau building and civilization building just fantastic the artwork is great the expansions make this game phenomenal this new edition of the game with just some rule tweaks and some upgraded artwork haven't gotten a chance to play that version yet except on board game arena still a classic modern day classic so to speak absolute buy all right number 53 too many bones this is uh, from chip theory games which they are known for making good games but also making ridiculously overproduced games (laughs) we're talking like you got the the mouse pad mats you've got the poker chips for player pieces you've got these big chunky dice and the the everything's laser cut and die cut um which makes for a very tactile and i I would say i don't know it's just a fun experience to hold all the stuff and play with it this game though (laughs) i don't know man uh it's it's a dodge for me for sure like it was just very difficult to learn very difficult to stay engaged with um it was like an hour and a half teach and then there still just doesn't quite click the rule book's not fantastic there's just too many layers here in the way of actually getting to the game and enjoying it now if you get through all those layers and play it a bunch, I'm sure it's great based on the ratings here, but this is 100% not a game for me. Yeah, this is a lifestyle game. I, I think this is one of those games that you buy it because you love so many of the elements of it. You study the rule book, you get a group of friends. This is your D&D situation where you're playing this each and every week. There's different characters. They're somewhat asymmetrical. As you mentioned, the rule book is a beast. There's been newer versions of this that kind of streamline some elements of it. But that being said, it is still the most over-the-top production of any game that's out there. I mean, the cards themselves are plastic. So it's not even like, oh, it's got miniatures. I've seen miniatures. Like, nope, it's got chips. Like, well, that's not good. I'm like, these are probably better poker chips than you've (laughs) ever played at a game night. So yeah, it's a play for me. I own this. As Anthony said, it's an undertaking. So don't go down that dungeon unless you're sure that you have the time, the effort and the friends to get this game to the table. All right. Number 52 from Vladimir Suchi underwater cities. Love, 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 love this game. It is. It took what made terraforming Mars. So fantastic. Uh, one of my top games of all time. And it tweaked it. That base formula of getting these cards out of this giant deck and building out a tableau of stuff in front of you and working. There's not like a shared goal either necessarily, but it has that kind of same feel like you're trying to create this city underwater. Um, But the smart thing it does that Terraforming Mars never did is it segments its deck. Like the cards can become more powerful and always remain relevant to what you're trying to do because there are different eras of that deck that come out. Um, It's still not better than me than Terraforming Mars. Like if you look at my top 100, which we'll get to in a few weeks, it's still not quite there, but it's very close. The expansion pushes it up even a little bit more with the variable boards that come with it. Uh, but it's such a fun game. It is among my favorite of all time. So it's Underwater Cities. Yeah, this killed Terraforming Mars for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, Terraforming Mars was one of those games that was like, all right, this is my game now. I'm going to literally like strap this to my chest and carry it wherever I go. And then I was like, oh, Underwater Cities. Oh my God, why was I carrying that albatross the entire time? <laughs> um, Underworld Cities, the first play of this game, obviously was something that like was kind of just blew me away in that situation in particular where I was like, oh, it's my first play of this game. What? You guys are leaving? We can't finish the game? No, but 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 I want to finish. I, I got to finish this game. And it's just been a great game. The expansion makes the game even better if that's possible. This is a buy, solid buy. Even if you don't like Terraforming Mars, or if you do, this is your game. It is a little long. I'm not going to say it's not. But again, this is something that Vladimir Suchi's done a fantastic job. Everything he does is fantastic, but especially this. All right. And then number 51, Android Netrunner. This is, it probably had the biggest cult following of any of the LCGs from Fantasy Flight. But unfortunately, they lost the license to it. Um just a a year or two ago, and they're no longer making this game, which is super unfortunate. I never had a chance to play it when it was actually in print, uh, but friend uh, here locally in Pittsburgh, Ryan, picked up a copy along with a few expansions, and we got a chance to play it. It is this brilliant asymmetrical two-player game 
that each side is so different, but then you throw on top of it the LCG elements where you're building decks and creating your own runners and your own corporations. And man, I really wish that I had gotten into this when it was still around. I never would have done competitive or anything because that's just not a scene for me, but it would have been cool to see all the different types of cards, which are now very much out of print and very hard to find, extremely expensive. So I don't know if they could ever find a way to retheme something else using these mechanics. The mechanics are very much built around the theme of the game. Um, but if they can, that would be really cool because I would love to see a game come back like this where it's just two-player, asymmetrical, so much just variability in how it comes out. Um, I know Star Wars did that a little bit, but this one did it like times 10. So it's a shame that it's out of print. Yeah, I have a base copy of this game that I picked up as an auction after it was announced that they weren't being, all the expansions weren't going to be coming out in the future. So I don't know if I'll actually ever get this to the table, as you mentioned, because the expansions just disappeared off the face of the earth. That being said, I've heard the same things you've heard, you've said about this game and you've heard about this game. And really, I would like to play this game. Unfortunately, it might be one of those things that we may never get to play this game, at least in this version. Yeah. All right. So there you are. The top 51 games of BGG's top 100. Hold on. We're going to get to the last, the top 50 games on BGG. So stick with us on our next episode. We'll wrap up the list and you'll find out what games are on top, what games we bought, what games we played, what games we dodge, and what games we 2020. So join us on episode <laughs> 296 next week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. <laughs>